Asan Sultan had a background in telecommunications device manufacturing and believed he could build a soil moisture sensor that better met farmer needs. But as he collaborated with farmers during the early days of his company, Soil Tech Wireless, he realized the potential didn't stop there. What was originally conceived as a moisture sensor evolved because growers said, hey, why don't you add this temperature and humidity sensor? Or, or I'm going to put it in almond hull pile to monitor for fire risk. So it's thanks to the, the ingenuity of the growers that we work with that the device is being able to provide so many different value propositions for different people across the chain. Today, the small device can be buried in soil or in a warehouse of produce or a number of other places to sense moisture, temperature, humidity, location, and crop damage. And for 2023, they've added CO2 and methane to that list and they're trialing NPK and EC. Now the product itself is cool, but there's also a lot of insights here, including what happens when an ag tech company is farmer focused from the very beginning. Our product exists because customers helped us build it. The app looks the way it does because they told us how it should look and feel. And we're fortunate that SoilTech could continue its development because farmers invested. SoilTech Wireless founder and CEO, Asan Sultan on today's Future of Agriculture podcast. Hello, fellow ag nerd. Thank you so much for joining me for another episode of the Future of Agriculture. My name is Tim Hammerich, and every week you and I get to hear from the founders, farmers, innovators, and investors shaping the future of the ag industry. We've got a great episode for you here today, but before we dive right into that, I do want to take just a moment to thank our quarterly presenting sponsor, which is Calgary Economic Development. Now, what makes Calgary, Alberta the engine for Canada's agriculture industry? Well, with direct access to a strong agricultural base, Calgary is a well-connected region with collaboration across geographic areas, industries, and research and training institutions. Calgary has experts in all things ag, including primary production, crop science, protein development, ag and food tech innovation, and animal health. It's also a hub for controlled environment agriculture, energy transition opportunities, and value-added food and beverage processing. Calgary is a hot spot for agri-food production and technology development, which is why multinational agribusiness leaders call the city home. In Calgary, they're leading the agribusiness revolution, and you are welcome to join. Just visit calgaryagbusiness.com to learn more about what's going on up there. That's calgaryagbusiness.com. And thank you very much to Calgary for supporting the Future of Agriculture podcast. All right, now back to today's episode with SoilTech Wireless founder and CEO, Asan Sultan. To try to summarize, SoilTech Wireless builds sensors and platforms that help farmers and downstream partners produce more with less by optimizing inputs, organizing manpower, and collecting data from the farm and beyond more seamlessly. All right, now what does all that mean? Uh, well, their flagship product that we refer to as both a potato and a beacon is a small round device that appears to me to be indestructible. Now, that's my claim, not theirs, don't test it, uh, but it is meant to either be buried in soil or uh, in a pile of, for example, almond holes, like you mentioned at the top of the show, um, and it collects a series of data points that can be useful for like a developing crop or perhaps a warehoused harvest. Uh, SoilTech has its own app for cell phones and tablets or its own web browser application for farmers to interact 
with all of this data. And they also integrate with several other parties. So customers, if they prefer, can access data wherever makes sense for them. I, I really enjoyed this interview with Hassan, and he's going to share about the technology and, of course, about the company, uh, how they've relied on farmer customers to really guide the development of the product and even become early investors, and some of his thoughts on ag tech more generally. Coincidentally, after I reached out to him, I found out we actually live in the same town, so that was kind of a, a cool connection as well. We'll have to get together in person one of these days. But before Soil Tech, Assam was living in Taiwan and working in the telecommunications device manufacturing industry. But his wife was from southern Idaho here, and her mother works for a potato packing house, so she was really the genesis for this whole venture to get started and to get off the ground. And that's where I'm going to drop you into today's conversation with Soil Tech Wireless founder and CEO, Asan Sultan. Take us back to, to how this idea got going. So you're from this telecommunications background in Taiwan. Uh, your wife is from Southern Idaho. And so you've got in-laws working in the potato industry. Were you looking for an opportunity to start a company or did an opportunity just kind of find you? I always wanted to move to Idaho, uh, but I, I don't think I was specifically looking for an opportunity. It all stemmed from me going to the harvest meeting. So my mother-in-law, I happened to be in town. She said, why don't you join me at this harvest meeting? It happens in November in Idaho, and it's when local farmers get together and they kind of review back the year, uh, you know, how they, uh, they fared with their crops, how harvest went, and they bring in a kind of uh, extension specialist to talk through some of the, the hot topics of the year, kind of what diseases were prevalent, how to manage your storage. And it was there that I, I met a few farmers and I, I listened to the problems that they experienced specifically related to technology, and I saw an opportunity to potentially help. So it was going to that harvest meeting that really triggered the soil tech's birth. Wow. And and what was it at that point? Because we're going to get into the soil tech solution, and it's got some broad applications. Did you immediately, were you struck with this vision of something with such broad application, or was it more kind of point source solution? Oh, there was a very, very kind of direct problem that I, I thought that I could help solve. So I, I kept hearing about how farmers and agronomists would, would drive a lot. They would drive sometimes hundreds of miles a day to visit fields and to touch and feel the soil to help determine if and how and when they were going to irrigate. And while I know that there's no replacement for boots on the ground and visiting your field, I thought there had to be a more efficient way to at least keep a remote oversight of fields so you didn't have to visit fields every single day and you could collect the information that could help drive decisions over time. So soil tech was originally designed to be a wireless soil moisture sensor. And what year was that, that you kind of went to that meeting and sort of had, had this idea? That was late 2017. Okay. And so I'm sure you had the idea and, and looked around and saw that there's other sensors out there. There's other soil sensors. What did you see in the landscape? And, and maybe this applies specifically to 2017. Maybe it still applies today. What did you see in the landscape that made you realize like, okay, there's a part of the market that's not being fully served here? Yeah, I, I, really, I really took advice from the farmers who I was talking to. They, they said that, yes, solutions did exist, but they were either very expensive, cumbersome to install, or not so simple to get the information from the device required to help you make a decision. 
so that's when I identified an opportunity. And I was also working on a specific cellular technology at the time, which was emerging. It wasn't new. It was replacing or adding to 4G. It was a technology designed to carry very small packets of data and be able to be transmitted far away from cellular towers. So I saw an opportunity to integrate that technology into a sensor and bury it under the soil. So, um, you know, the first year in 2018 was putting together hand-built prototypes and putting them under the soil to try to figure out if we could get signal from the soil directly to the cloud and onto growers' phones, which would improve upon existing solutions. And, and what'd you find in those early days? What was the hard part of this? Well, the good thing is that it worked. So we were able to get signal out of the ground. We, we buried what is you know, sometimes referred to as, as the potato under the soil without the need for any gateways or routers in the field, and it got to the cloud. So we were really happy about that. But of course, cellular technology is very unpredictable. You know, you can have great signal where you're standing and 10 feet away, you, you don't have good signal. So we had to really fine tune our product and over time, add kind of options for customers who had really poor signal. So today we have an external antenna option for growers who have poor signal or they want to bury the device very deep or they have a tall kind of cover crop uh, or canopy like corn, for example. And going all the way back to the beginning of the story again, so you, you went to this meeting, you identified this problem, you talked to farmers. Were you ready to start a company right then? I was very enthused by kind of the concept. So yeah, I was. I did a year of field trials to generally prove the concept in 2018. And then in 2019, uh, we 3D printed a few more devices and got together with a few more growers to get more insights, more input. Uh, and by the end of 2019, we had the confidence to to go to mass production, to tool the product, to invest in that, and to commercially launch in 2020. And how do you account for sort of infield variability? You know, how many of these potatoes do you need? Um, and how do you make sure that the data you're getting is actually, you know, a reliable indicator of what's happening in that field? Sure. Well, first and foremost, we've imported the NRCS soil database. So when customers log on to the app, they can see within each field that they have the variation of soil types, textures, etc. And then we've calibrated the device to major soil types as well. So if you bury it into a predominantly sandy loam, the device will automatically start reading specifically for a sandy loam. Now, of course, all of our customers can fine tune and switch calibrations, but that goes some way to helping to account for variability. And the other way is to price the device I guess, affordably. So you can put multiple devices in a field because whether you're growing potatoes, corn, any crop, you're dealing on a typically big scale and fields can vary drastically You know, within one field. And existing solutions were very expensive. So it, it was almost impractical to put more than one sensor in a field because you were really never going to get your, your money back. So building the device to be as affordable as possible was paramount to helping to account for some of that variability. And to build it as affordable as possible, was that just you know using less expensive components than maybe they were using? Or how, how did you approach that? Uh, no, we, we did not sacrifice on quality. We use high quality components, you know, batteries from Japan. We build it in Taiwan, which is renowned for being a high quality location to produce product. I, I think we just... Well, my background was manufacturing, so I, I had a good network and a good understanding of how to build efficiently. 
without sacrificing quality. So um, no, there were no sacrifices made. It was just a very deliberate design process to enable us to produce something that was, was affordable. And going back to connectivity, I, this is what happens when I, I get like three or four questions in my head and I go down one road and then I'm like, well, I have to go all the way back to go down this next road. But like uh, the connectivity issue. So how, how did you, you mentioned kind of, you know, in one place could be good, 10 feet away, not good. How did you approach that problem so that you could scale to multiple farms and, and continue to grow the company? Yeah. So a couple of ways we, we had to go through multiple design changes of the antenna itself. Uh, we also had to add new carriers. So we, we started as AT&T only, and then we came to realize that, okay, in some places, uh, you know, Verizon's better or T-Mobile is better. So adding new cell phone carriers was important. And then including certain uh, features in the software to help customers to understand the signal strength that existed where they were trying to bury the device. And then ultimately getting to adding an antenna and we also are introducing Bluetooth capabilities. So for zero signal areas, you can still collect information and go out to the field and kind of harvest it using your cell phone. Yeah. And so um, how are these being used? How, as far as how deep are they being buried? Are they just put out there the beginning of the season, removed at the end? Kind of talk about what, what is the customer experience like? Sure. I'll speak to this really broadly. So the device is a, a moisture, temperature, humidity location and crop damage sensor and for 2023 we've added co2 methane and we'll be trialing out npk as well as well as ec so the device can be buried under the ground to help monitor moisture and temperature it can be placed above the ground in the crop canopy or the trunk of a tree to monitor temperature humidity and track things like growing degree days it can be harvested right out of the ground. So in the case of you know, tubers like potatoes, sugar beets, and onions, this can be mechanically harvested. And during that process, we monitor the bumps and the vibrations that occur that could lead to crop damage and crop loss. We allow the device to go onto trucks. We use GPS to follow it as it's moving from field to translocation, processing plant, uh, or storage facility. And then we can go into storage and monitor temperature, humidity, and CO2 and other variables that could or that need to be monitored while you're storing a crop for the long term. So the device monitors variables from pre-seed all the way through to storage and beyond. Now, customers don't have to use the full breadth of the functionality. They'll still get value out of the product, even if they just use it for in-field moisture sensing for humidity sensing to help determine when you're going to bale your hay, or even just in storage. So the way in which it's used has really evolved, and that's thanks to growers. So what was originally conceived as a moisture sensor evolved because growers said, hey, why don't you add this temperature and humidity sensor? Or I'm going to use it above the ground to monitor humidity late in the season in the canopy. Or I'm going to put it in almond hull pile to monitor for fire risk. So it's thanks to the, the ingenuity of the growers that we work with that the device is being able to provide so many different value propositions for different people across the chain. Yeah. And uh, you've mentioned the differentiation with other soil sensors when it comes to cost. Uh, I imagine another point of differentiation is all these other, these other factors that you're measuring in addition to just soil moisture. Are those the two major ones or, or am I missing a big piece of this? I think the biggest piece actually is the form factor. So other devices typically are kind of probe style. So it's like a spear that you place in the ground. 
And that enables it, well, that restricts it. It can only monitor one place and it, it can't move. So ours is shaped kind of like a ball, as you might have seen, or a capsule. So that enables it to be very easily moved throughout the season and to be taken to different locations or to be placed into trucks or to be placed into storage. So definitely one of our unique value propositions is the, the form factor and the mobility of it. And it makes sense that you would start in potatoes, um, but I imagine you've expanded into some other crops as well right now. What, what have you, what has come next after potatoes? Yeah. So we did indeed start uh, in potatoes and onions and sugar beets, you know, our first year. Then we started to expand kind of into broad acre row crops in the Midwest. So corn, soybeans. And then in 2022, we started to look at California and kind of the the plethora of crops that are grown there, such as strawberries, grapes, almonds, lettuce. So the device really works in a whole host of different crops and different situations. Hmm. And let's talk about some some success stories that stand out. As far as the customers you're working with, I know you are uh, very focused on having the customer direct the iterations of the product and of the company. What signs of success have you seen from customers that made you realize, okay, we are actually making the difference here and we're on the right track. Is there any specific examples you could share? Sure. Over the long term, it's that we still have customers from three years ago that keep subscribing and keep buying more product. So that gives us great confidence that we are delivering value to them year over year. And kind of specifically, when we hear from customers that they were able to reduce the amount of water that they used in a, in a season and not sacrifice on crop quality or crop yield. These are some of the major success kind of factors for us. So uh, actually the Carbon Trust conducted a case study on soil tech that communicated with some of our customers and spoke about what they got out of using the product and they, they helped quantify it. So, you know, one grower in, in a season saved 120 million gallons of water. And all he had to do was, was skip three pivot revolutions across his farm. So these are really big numbers for the grower, but also, you know, in terms of helping quantify the efforts that they are making to be more sustainable is a big win for us as well. Because not to get up on a soapbox here, but sustainability is kind of a, a term, not misused, but it's really used for marketing sake. And what's funny is that from my perspective, from what I've learned over the past few years is that farmers are inherently sustainable. They're, they're good stewards of the land. They, they want to protect their soil. They want to do more with less. And so we're just helping to quantify that and to demonstrate to other people that, hey, farmers are just doing the best that they can. Yeah. I, I think that that is accurate. And I think that's good that we can communicate that with data because I, I do think that's what's been lacking. It's a lot of the messaging has sort of been a trust us, we have your best interest at heart. And that's in this day and age needs to be backed up with the data. I am curious. So the water one seems really clear and tangible for me. Like if you're a soil moisture sensor, you can help them save water. What about some of these new ones that you're adding with, with CO2 and methane specifically? What can I do if I know how much CO2 and methane my potato is picking up in my field. Are we, do we call it a potato or am I just the only one calling that? You know, it, a lot of people do and it, it has been called that, but we finally figured out a, I guess, a, a name for it. It's called the beacon. The beacon. Okay, good. I like it. I like beacon. Yeah. So, so if the beacon's telling me my CO2 levels and my methane levels, what do I do with that as a farmer? 
Sure. The reason we integrated CO2 was not for infield or soil monitoring. It was for post-harvest monitoring in storage, because I think storage is, a, at least from the outside of agriculture, an overlooked element of the production of food. So, you know, you, you harvest your potatoes and they might be in a storage facility for up to nine months before they're picked up by a, a grocery chain or a processor to be made into French fries. And so you've got to make sure that, you know, you're, you're keeping the, the high quality throughout that whole period. And so, you know, the device had temperature and humidity, which helps to, to ensure kind of stable conditions. But as we started to interface with storage managers and processors, they highlighted that there are other elements that they look at, such as CO2. And you know, increasing CO2 uh, rates in a storage is indicative potentially of disease emerging, you know, uh, an early indicator. Increasing respiration rates might indicate that crops are potentially at risk of becoming diseased. Right. And then another one you said you're testing. You didn't say it was kind of like live yet, but but this feels like a whole different ballgame to me is NPK. So you are looking at how this beacon might be able to measure NPK levels? Yeah. And, you know, from day one, in addition to probably moisture, which was the most important variable, everybody said, can you help me monitor nitrogen in the soil? And um, it's a massive one. At the time, we didn't think that we could do it using remote sensing technology. It was, it was something that we thought you really have to rely on soil testing. And to a large extent, I still think that's the case. I still think to get accurate understanding of your nitrogen levels in your soil, you have to take soil samples. But the device or the add-on that we've created is to help give ongoing, in-season, real-time trend lines more than anything else. So to understand if you are getting your fertilizer down to the correct level, if you're potentially leaching, uh, you know, over time, we hope to develop that into a precise measuring tool. But at the very least, we can provide a solution to farmers and, and people downstream to get a sense of the general trend line of nitrogen levels in the soil to help them make decisions. All right. Well, yeah, I want to talk both about farmer and, and downstream customers, but uh, let's start with farmers. So, you know, I, I imagine many are understandably skeptical of offerings of new technology that, that has claims to help them, right? They hear that quite a bit. What have you noticed sort of turns a corner in the relationship in, in terms of them really starting to see the value in soil tech and, and start to trust you? Sure. And I will start this particular answer by highlighting that my experience has been that farmers are not tech agnostic. They understand the value of it and they know that it can help them. They're just tech impatient because they have maybe been sold something that didn't work in the past. And more importantly, they have so much to deal with on a daily basis, right? I think growing crops takes so much more effort and steps than people outside of agriculture can even comprehend, me included, before I got into it. So they need something that just works. And the best way to, I guess, give them confidence is to have another farmer who's used the product refer them or refer us to them and to be a kind of a, a validation point or a, to say, hey, I use Soiltech's product. It worked for me because I can sit and try to convince anybody that our product works. But I think it's always better to come from 
farmer that used it, a farmer that trusts it enough to stand by it. Okay. And I think you mentioned sort of downstream partners as, as customers of soil tech as well. So what does that relationship look like? The, the farmer's easy for me to visualize. It's harder for me to visualize a, an example of a downstream customer. Can you uh, maybe give a specific example of that? Sure. Yeah. So let's take an agronomist, for example, an independent agronomist that helps multiple farmers and provides guidance and recommendations. They use our, our sensor and platform as a tool to understand environmental conditions that could help them to make a recommendation, you know, don't irrigate today or irrigate today, but also to enable them to collect all the information which they're typically collecting by hand, by pen and paper, and digitize it. And then as you look to co-ops and processors and, and retail, it's a similar story. They're using our sensor to provide added value services to growers. So you know, the job of a retailer is to provide growers with the, the products they need. But that's a sales role, right? And they want to be more than just a salesperson. They want to be the trusted advisor. They want to be the go-to because growers can, they can shop around and they can look for the best price. And, and how, do you be, how do you become sticky in a grower's life? You, you provide more than just sales options. So they're using our product to show that they, they care, that they are um, monitoring their fields and they can provide offhand advice uh, should the grower be willing to or want to hear it. So that's how people downstream are using the product to uh, build a better bond with the grower, to be a more, I guess, well-rounded advisor beyond sales, and then to also help them collect the information which they need because processors and retailers, they need data to help them make their own internal decisions. So uh, we're helping those People in the, in, the, in the chain also do very similar things to growers. And I think a lot of ag tech that are either sensors or, or trying to collect this type of data have seemed to pivot towards, well, this is how we're going to help with carbon sequestration. And I imagine some of the data points that you're collecting could play a role in the models that they're using for that sort of thing. Has that changed your business at all or your approach? It hasn't changed our business. Uh, we, we haven't changed anything to kind of jump on the carbon bandwagon. <laughs> and that sounded worse than I intended, but you know, I there's, been it. A lot of, <laughs> there's been a lot of uh, investment and attention paid to the carbon markets. And um, I think that eventually something will emerge that's industry standard. But right now it's very uncertain and it, it changes from region to region, crop to crop. So where we see ourselves fitting in is giving growers or our customers tools to collect the information that they will eventually need to qualify for different programs. So typically you need to demonstrate year over year change. So, you know, if I've implemented a cover crop program, I've got to show that I've increased moisture holding capacity, for example, and we can help do that. So we see ourselves as a data repository for our customers so that when these programs become more streamlined and, and defined, that they can easily pick up the information and then provide it to whoever is going to give them a credit or whatever else it might be. Okay. Yeah. And, and we've talked a lot about the product here. Um, I know for you and getting your company off the ground, working with customers, specifically farmer customers, was not just helpful for the product, but also for the company and even the financing. Can you talk about how you approached growing the company, you know, other than the product, how you approached growing the company? Sure. Yeah. And like you said, we're, we're totally grower-driven or customer-driven. So our product exists because customers helped us build it. 
the app looks the way it does because they told us how it should look and feel. And we're fortunate that SoilTech could continue its development because farmers invested. So, you know, they helped us to define the product. And then once they saw what we had done and the potential that it had, they invested in SoilTech Wireless. So this is one of my proudest moments to date that farmers were willing to take their hard-earned money and invested in SoilTech because they believed not only that it could help their own farms, which it does to this day, but that it could have a more meaningful impact worth investing in. What, what do you think is the most helpful strategic move you've made? I mean, what comes to mind is what you just said there, having farmers invest. Are there any others like that that you think are sort of unique strategic moves that SoilTech has made that have really positioned yourself for success? I think one of the most important things we did strategically was not to try to grow too big, too quick. We were very deliberate in our approach, especially in year one, because we understood that technology often has issues. And we also understood that agriculture is, is huge. It varies within a state. And it very crop to crop varies. And then, you know, a potato grown in, in Idaho varies from a potato grown in California. So I think understanding that we, we can't be everything for everybody from the get-go is important. And really just building out value in the Pacific Northwest originally and being very deliberate about listening and, and helping our customers and not growing at all costs was something I think was the right strategic move for us. Because agriculture is a long-term game. And I don't think the traditional startup mentality can work here. You can't just fail and fail and fail and fail and fail and, and suddenly have something because you have to conform to the cyclicality of agriculture, right? You, for the most part, you grow one crop per year with the exception of multi-rotations in California and other places. So you have to be very patient and you have to um, sit and listen and make sure that you're making long-term decisions for the company because you'll never be able to validate them as quickly as you might do with software, for example. One thing I want to ask you about before we leave, because so um, Soil Tech had popped up on my radar a, a time or two before, but then I got an email from a listener, Jim Couples uh, in Oregon, who said he saw you on a panel, and he specifically was saying that uh, you all were talking about the upcoming farm bill and how technology like Soil Tech might be you know, the right time and the right product for what uh, seems to be on the docket for the forthcoming farm bill. Can you maybe talk about that or explain that? I don't know if you recall the exact comment that was made, but uh, uh, share that with the group because Jim thought it would be valuable for the audience. Yeah. Yeah. And probably even more specifically, we already work directly with water conservation districts because there's a lot of incentives available to farmers and there's a lot of money that's, uh, you know, including from the farm bill out there. But it's, it's really challenging for farmers to get direct access to it. It's very time consuming and you have to conform to very specific rules. So we're really grateful for water districts that go the extra mile. So they're, they're getting together, they're figuring out this kind of blueprint for how to go and appropriate money and then purchase technology or um, software that they can then give to growers. So we want to make this a more prevalent part of our business. We've always wanted to create an SOP for farmers to help them go out and get 
grants or get money to help them implement technology like ours that can help them to be more sustainable or make different decisions on their farm that can have a better outcome. So I'm going about this in a roundabout way, but I guess the takeaway is there's great initiatives out there and we need, growers need more help to get access to them. So we can't thank irrigation districts enough for taking the initiative, for figuring out how they can get together to get money to help growers to implement solutions. Because ultimately, growers don't have enough time in the day to go out and research all the kind of specifics about the various money that is available because they're putting out 10 different fires a day just trying to grow their field of corn. So it's great that the farm bill is out there and these grants are available, but I think that we need to do more as a company to expose growers to these initiatives so that they can get easy access to them. So long story short, it's great it exists, but there needs to be better, I guess, processes in place to make it easier for farmers to get access to the money that is being promoted and made available. Well, Hassan, I, I know I've kept you past the time I've asked you. I apologize for that. But any, anything else you'd like to mention or thoughts about uh, where agriculture is headed? This has been a really fantastic interview, and I really appreciate it. Well, yeah, no apologies necessary for going over time. And I'm happy to meet you know outside of the podcast just yeah. to grab a coffee or yeah, whatever. We should. We're right coffee. here. Yeah, I totally agree. But I'm enthused by where at least ag tech is going because I, I think that um, – more and more, we're engaging with customers who see a need for what we're providing. And I think that the industry is also moving in the right direction. You know, on our side of the table, I'm seeing more people that want to work together with us, more people willing to integrate. So I think that all signs are good. And people are realizing that we, we have to come together to provide this package for farmers. And that's the only way really to encourage adoption and to actually give our users a return on the investment of both money and time into technology. All right. What a great place to end today's episode. Thank you so much to Hassan Sultan for being on the show today. Go learn more about what he's doing over at SoilTechWireless.com. In fact, in part of the interview that didn't make the final cut here, I complimented him on his website because it's one of the few ag tech websites that I went to and I could see instantly what the product was and read very quickly what the product does. So uh, if you are in the ag tech industry and wondering what a good website looks like, this is about as good as any that I've seen seen. There's a lot of other ones out there that talk about feeding the world or reversing climate change or uh, loving farmers or whatever the case may be. And you never know what they do. Uh, but Solitech Wireless has a great one. Go check that out. Thanks again to Hassan for being on the show today. also want to thank Jim Couples, a listener who recommended that we get Hassan on the show. Great recommendation. And if you're listening and you have any questions or anything you've heard of that you want to know more about, the, the best recommendations I get are either number one, uh, it's a company that you have worked with and personally vouched for, or number two, it's a person or company that you want to know more about uh, because it's just something you're interested in. A little bit inside baseball there, but if you have recommendations along those lines, please let me know. Tim at agrad.com, DM via LinkedIn, or find me on Twitter at Tim Hamrich. 
So thank you very much to Calgary Economic Development for being our quarterly presenting sponsor of this quarter. And last but certainly not least, thank you for your time and your attention. I never take it lightly. I'll be back next week with another story of ag innovation. Thank you.